So you are listening to Becoming a Driving Instructor by me, Terry Cook, and the delightful Chris Spencer, who is also joining me. How are we doing, Chris? Good day to you. I'm good. Yeah, having a lovely day. And it's always lovely to see your face. Excellent. And if you are on your road to becoming a driving instructor, I didn't realize I'd done a pun there by saying on the road, but I'm, I'm going with it. Uh, if you are on the road to becoming a driving instructor, then this is the perfect place for you. I'll even say that if you are currently a driving instructor, it's probably still a, a useful resource for you, but definitely if you're on the road, whether you are considering or whether you are currently working your way towards becoming an ADI. We are here to help, and today we are taking a look at the part one. Part one, the uh, the theory, if you like, the bit that gets dismissed by 99% of us, um, Chris. So <laughs> yeah, this this is uh, probably your special, if you, special subject, I'm guessing. If you're going on the, oh, I forgot what the quiz is called now, Mastermind. Mastermind. Will this be a specialist subject? Uh, probably, yeah. I, I love the theory. My my background is is fifteen years doing proper driving instructing stuff, um, and then COVID, you know, pushed me towards doing some theory properly. And then it's taken over, and I I'm the driving instructor without a car, and I do PDI training and theory, and I love the theory. It's a genuine passion, and and I think I'm quite good at it. I mean, I wasn't going to start the podcast this way, but I think I'm going to because I'd, I'd be interested in your your thoughts on this because I'm thinking back to when I uh, when I did my training to become an instructor and my part one training. I won't mention the school, although I've mentioned it previously, so people will know, but I'm not going to mention it now. But basically, I was uh, given a um, an online platform and uh, a lot of multiple choice questions to practice and um some hazard perception clips to practice and told to read some books and then i did that for a bit and i went and passed first time um is that your experience with people generally in the part one depends did you read the books i read some parts of the books then then yes although i think you're possibly ahead some ahead of some people um yeah it, i i think it's the poor second cousin of, of the driving test when it comes to learners, and that's partly perpetuated by instructors. And when someone comes into the industry or wants to come into the industry, so often it's go and do the theory and then come back to us. And, you know, it the, it's, in, it's important that it's relevant. The DBSA, actually, I would say the part one is better than the L test from the theory perspective, because it, it is relevant in a lot of cases, whereas the, the old test one arguably is pointless. But in my opinion, you want to do the job and you want to do it well. I haven't met anyone that doesn't want to do it well. Make it important, make it relevant. And it will be relevant if you choose to do so. If you don't come out of the theory with a favourite road sign, you haven't done it properly. I don't know what my favourite road sign was. But my current favorite road sign is stop. Yours is frogs in the road, apparently. No. Uh, for, those, for those listening to my podcast, Chris is currently using visual aids. It was it was for your benefit rather than anything else. But yeah, no, it's not a frog. It's a toad because it's a migratory toad crossing sign. And frogs aren't migratory. So the, the sign would be absolutely redundant and pointless. So that's my favorite sign. And they're making a comeback. 
um, the the toads are making a comeback, and so are the signs. I had six of them within a mile of my house um, last year, so uh, that is my favourite sign. A lot of hedgehog warning signs around here, which is quite nice, uh, but no toad signs that I can recall. Uh, but but no, mine was stopped for quite a while because I, I ran through a period of about two years where I think there were five students failed for not stopping at stop signs. Uh, one student failed consecutive tests for not stopping at stop signs at the same stop sign on the end of the street where he lives. Literally, he lived like two minutes from the test centre. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I can't help you anymore. <laughs> but I haven't had, after that two-year period, no one has failed on stop signs because I realised that if they are continually doing it, that's probably a reflection on me somehow. I'm not getting that point across enough. I used to tell them how to do it and tell them to stop at a stop sign. And then I changed that approach. But maybe we can discuss that when we come to part two or part three. But this is a good example of where it does blend together. But Hmm. you mentioned there about the books uh, and reading it. And I think that that's actually really relevant because... They can remember not seeing the importance in it and thinking, why why do I need to read this? I've been driving for years. Why do I need to read this? And and why do I need to do this again? And I come across the same with my learners now. You know, they see the theory test as a gateway to the driving test. That that's yep. it. They can't book the driving test till they pass a theory. And if we can change their perception of that theory test, that's going to help them with their driving. It will help keep them safe, hopefully. I mean you know, the learning will, not the test itself. That's another story, but it, it will help. And it's the same for, for people coming into the industry. If they approach that part one in a, I want to learn mentality, and we can show them the significance of the part one and the way it helps, I think that would make a big difference. Uh, absolutely. is it? It needs to be relevant. It needs to have a point to it. And I don't think the the current approach and the way the questions are written i don't think that is is necessarily helpful to the process um i don't think that the books are actually helpful um i think you have to go digging through and and there's a lot of rubbish in there that's not relevant or treats you like you don't know what you're doing as you said you've been driving for at, at least um, at least a few years, you know, a lot, a lot of people come into this later on in life. They've been driving for a lot more. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I keep asking. And if anyone who listens to this can email either TSO, the stationary office who published them, or the DVSA and ask for, or both, uh, and ask for an audio version of the book, that would be, you know, would be helpful because if there's a demand, they'll do it. But at the moment, it's just me asking for it. But, but the, yeah, the same sort of things. But um, yeah, I, I think you know it. It's not it's not necessarily accessible. So I did one of my thirty seconds trying to figure out the word that I needed. Accessible. I I agree, but I, I do want to ask you this specific question because you mentioned there about the, the the fact that it's it's not accessible. It's it's not always worded very well and put across very well. To, so what is the point of it? What is the benefit of the part one to someone coming into the industry of learning that theory and understanding that? Uh, if you go to the doctors with a pain in your shoulder, you want to know what's wrong with it 
and what you do to fix it. And and that's driving. That's that side of it. But you you are becoming the doctor and you want the doctor to be aware of any side effects, of any counter-indicative, contra-indicative things that are pointing people, in, you know, pointing you in the wrong direction. And actually, you need to bear this in mind as well. And you need to be able to diagnose. So the driving test marks um, marks symptoms, not causes. We need to be able to find causes to address causes. So the more you know about a subject, the more you'll be able to answer the questions and and poke it where it hurts accurately, so that you can get a better diagnosis to then help them work through from there and it's having that deeper understanding so it's not good enough just to be able to operate the car effectively um i think the part two should become before the part one that would help make the part one more relevant um because you've been driving for years we know you can do that the theory is something new so i i I think that would be an interesting change um but until they decide to actually listen to me um we're we're stuck with one two three instead of two one three uh wouldn't that be confusing so yeah i I think we need to make it relevant to the teaching at the end and and bring that that into into the picture so when you're teaching about pedestrian crossings they don't need much to drive pedestrian crossings what do the lights mean what do i need to do what do the zigzags mean that's about it but actually as the as the the trainer you should know the difference between them. You should know why that's relevant uh, as a bit of a, a techie, geeky, geeky subject. To to be less techie and geeky, motorways. And and we then have that issue of as a PDR, you won't be able to teach on motorways until you're fully qualified. So that first bit of teaching, you're not even going to go near them, but you've still got pupils that need to learn about them. And you need to need they need to pass, even if it's just the theory test, they need to be educated about motorways in that way so you need that technical information and then the final thing is words for the theory words are really important so if you don't know what a dual carriageway is if you don't know what a junction is which on the theory test means emerging it doesn't mean turning into a side road they they're quite specific in the difference on those so when they talk about junctions to the best of my knowledge, without exception, it's when you're emerging, you're coming out of a side road. Um, so if you don't know those technical words, you're going to get it wrong, but then you're going to pass that on to your pupils. I think the example I would use there as well, is, is, I mentioned it before, is a stop sign. Now, if you go on to a driving instructor Facebook group and you ask what should pupils be doing on their test at a stop sign, you will get a lot of different answers. And the only relevant answer is stopping. But you will get all kinds of weird and wonderful and wacky things around that. So, But if you know that you've done the theory and you know that at a stop sign you've just come to a full or complete stop, then that's what you'll teach your students. But if you don't know that, if you're not confident in your own knowledge and then you go on to said Facebook group and you see like 17 different variations, then you're going to start doubting yourself. So I think the other thing for me just there around where this part one and actually putting time into it is building up your own confidence in your own knowledge. And if you're not confident in what you're saying, well, your students are going to 
sort of caught on to that pretty quick, I'd imagine, and lose faith in you. Um, I also just want to mention that I was quite impressed that it took us eight minutes into the show before we did his first analogy. So, <laughs> so that was good. Um, so in a minute, let, let's come on and we'll speak specifically about what the part one entails. But just before we do, as a special treat for, for anyone coming into the industry, I asked in my Facebook group for some tips from people, for people coming into the industry. What would you advise? What do you give to people? So I'm going to read a few of these out. Uh, so Simon Jenner said, be yourself. It's your key selling point. That's what makes you different from other instructors. Lou Walsh said, two things. One, surround yourself with fellow instructors who might inspire you, make you think, offer intelligent debate on the road, support and friendship. And two, be one of those instructors. Uh, Simon Mee, I apologize if I got your surname wrong then, uh, said, keep away from certain Facebook groups, which are very telling. Maybe we'll do a list sometime of resources to avoid. Um <laughs> I like this one by Richard Martin. Uh, find at least one positive and successful local instructor to model yourself on. Preferably your tutor will be one of them. I quite like that. Uh, Sarah Baldock says, understand exactly what the job is. How the driving element is just a part of it, but the people side is often more important. If you don't like people, get frustrated easily or have limited patience, the job probably isn't for you. Well, that's uh, quite wise. She also said that she would point them towards the Instructor Podcast, uh, and I think that's also maybe the best advice anyone can give. Uh, Sam Harper said, don't be afraid to set clear boundaries and limitations for yourself. Practice self-care. If you're stressed, tired, and tense, it'll reflect in your lessons. And also, keep a sense of humour and don't take anything or anyone too seriously. And last couple, so Stuart Lockery said, aim high, keep learning, be better. The work shouldn't stop at the green badge. And Caroline cheered, I think this might be my favourite, actually. Uh, as an unqualified newbie, I'd say do your research. Then when you think you've researched it to death, do some more and explore all options regarding the initial training, including timescale, fitting it around your current job and your budget, also thinking because you're a really good driver or that you're quite like driving or thinking it's easy earnings is not necessarily the basis of a good instructor. But that's, uh, I like that last one particularly, I think. But if any of those stand out that, that you particular, oh, that bit, or is it all just kind of a general lump of goodness? I, I, I thought Lou Walsh was classic. Lou Walsh, you asked for one thing and she gave you two, uh, and they were very relevant and, and made good sense. Um, and uh, the last one, is, when I started doing my training, it was, why are you becoming a driving instructor? Because I'm good at training people and making things simple, because I'm simple. Um, and my trainer looked at me in horror because everybody always says, I'm good at driving or I like driving. Um, and, and yeah, you don't do much driving. You sit in the passenger seat most of the time. Um, and I think, yeah, it's about the person in the, in the driving seat. Um, and, and it's that focus. Um, my, my answer would have been why. Um, and I think that's the most important thing. Every time ask why. So whatever you get told by a driving instructor as being good advice, why? Um, whatever you get told about driving or whatever you tell people about driving, make sure you can back it up with a why. Because if there isn't one, it's probably not good advice. Uh, one of my local test centres, I'll name it actually, Horsforth, uh, it's, it's got it's on the main road. So 
Uh, there's no car park, so you park on the road. And everyone parks facing downhill. And often there's very little space to park. So, like, very early on, I'd been told that you have to park facing downhill. So, but when I went down there, they want much space. So, we went around to random. I went all the way around, come back up and parked on the other side of the road where there were loads. And when the examiner came out, I actually said, Can I have a quick word. And he's like, Yeah, I said, Sorry for parking on that side. I says, But the no space. He went, Park wherever you want. We don't care. And I'm like, I, I was literally just kind of following the sort of everyone else. And I only went over the other side because there were no space. And I thought, if I'd have asked why, because who knows why? Probably just because it's a bit close to a test center and they don't want to cross the road. But, uh, you know, yeah. don't take stuff at face value, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's it's what the DBSA aren't actually very good at. They'll, they'll tell us yeah. tell us what, but they don't tell us why. And that's where a lot of those challenges in the industry come from. Um, the same with instructors, because they're 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 all gods of their own car, and uh, you know it'll be going back to your stop sign. We'll, we'll keep that as the theme for the day. I think uh, you should put the handbrake on. Why? I said this to one instructor at the test centre. You know, com- made a comment about not having to put the handbrake. And we, no, you just have to put it into neutral. Why? <laughs> um, you know, I, I admit I have taught at least one pupil to touch their nose at a stop stop line um but that was because they they weren't quite managing the stop and they were forgetting it was it was the want to go was taking over every time he knew he should but it was the want to go so i got him you have to stop touch your nose just to put a pause in there and then go but you don't have to just to clarify it was just useful for him as a solution i must admit the the one that that started clicking for me, and again, not with everyone because everyone's different, but it works most of the time. Is you think of it as a red light because people often, when they come to a stop sign, they carry on because it looks clear as far as they can see, and they don't, especially on the test, they start thinking, I don't want to get marked down for undue hesitancy, which is a whole other topic for all of a day. But I'm like, okay, so if you came to a red light and it was clear, would you carry on? And the answer is always no. So I'm like, but the sign says stop, which in effect is the same as a red light. And then when you get there, the red light doesn't apply anymore. You know? And 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 if if there wasn't a need for a stop sign, it wouldn't look clear. The fact yes. it looks clear is the reason there's a stop sign there, because someone's gone and had a nasty crash, potentially a fatality. Yeah. So it it's it's that counterintuitive thing, isn't it? Stop and think again. Um, stop must be able to stand for something there. So I'm going to work on that one for later. Um, the T is Terry, so we can work around that. Super Terry. This is brilliant audio. Um, stop, stop, stop thinking, obviously, pause. No, I can't quite like Terry being in there. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, I would also just mention for anyone listening, do not play a drinking game for every time we say stop on today's episode. That could end up disastrous. Uh, but uh, I did want to ask you, because again, you are, in my opinion, one of, sort of the leading experts in this field in our industry. So I'm, I'm going to kind of bow down to your superiority on this. What what does the part one actually entail? So the part one in, in for, for, you know, specifically looking at the part one, it's split into four bands. And this is why I advise don't do the part one first. So when when it comes to the part one, 
my advice is always go and do the L test. Get successful at the L test. And just to clarify, by L test, I mean the learner driver um, theory test, because that's split into 14 categories. So the 14 categories mean that you can better diagnose where you're going wrong. Um, and then you know, you're going to have a better better possibility of being successful. Then come on to the to the uh the ADI part one. And those four bands, as they refer to them, the four sections that it's split into. Um, band one is road procedure, band two is traffic signs and signals, car control, pedestrians, and mechanical knowledge, which is a real mixed bag. And that's one of the two categories that people often struggle with, I think. And it's just hard to diagnose where the issues are if you're trying. Band three is the driving test, disabilities, and the law. So these are the the box-ticking exercises or the the variations thereon. Um, So that that one, say, as long as you know it, people are normally okay. And then band four is the other one, and I suspect this is because people aren't reading the books. Um, publications, instructional techniques. So they're things that you possibly won't have come across as a normal driver. Um, so they're a bit more specialist. And the problem is that you've got those four bands you have to achieve the pass mark in each of the individual categories. So it's out of 100 questions, and you you have to be getting 20 in each category. So you, although the pass mark is 80, you could fail with um, – oh, my maths has just gone a little bit. If it's a 25 in each one, six. So you could you could fail with with uh, with a 94 if they were all in one in one band. So – it's not as straightforward as as it might appear. It's not just about getting a mark. Um, you need to be getting it right. And then the way that most people revise it, the way they study it even, is through using the DVSA revision data bank. And that doesn't include some of the stuff. Um, and, and if anyone... You know, needs the other stuff. Get in touch because you know I've I've got PDFs with it all on from their common issues that come up. Um, but the most common ones that get mentioned are learning styles. So you've got rote, which is imagine doing your timetable when you were at school. Repetition, learning it over and over again. Uh, gestalt learning, which is a really big mix of how people explain it. I say it's looking at the picture that is believed to be true and working with that rather than going, no, that's wrong, and then trying to tell them something that's at odds with what they believe. So it's working with their interpretation rather than just overruling it. Um, so that's gestalt. Uh, and then learning plateaus, when it flattens out, basically. So they're doing really well, and then all of a sudden they hit a bit of a brick wall um, and say those things aren't in the database. So it is making sure that you, you you've best prepared um and to to best prepare the official books so you've got the learning revision data bank which if you're using an app or whatever make sure it is using the correct one uh, the dvsa one um the correct books are the good old highway code because if you read that you'll be fine 
Um, don't believe that if you hear it. There's lots more to it, even for the old test. Uh, the hybrid code, the driving essential skills, which is the DVSA approach to driving. The instructor handbook. Um, practical skills for driving instructors. And watch out, there's different versions of that. You want the coachy one. Uh, the one that's got Sue McCormack on the uh, on the front, not just um, whoever the other person was, whose name I can't remember, but that's how I know it's the correct one. But just look for the most recent edition. And then the other one, which I call Kites, to help me remember the name, which is Know Your Traffic Signs. Um, so those are the official ones. Uh, and then just making sure that you you know the stuff that's in there. Don't just learn via revision. That's my key. There's also the hazard perception in there. Uh, so yeah. So uh, so sorry. It's a, it's a test of two halves, um, and I have this annoying habit of dismissing hazard perception. But actually, when it comes to part one, it's it is a bit challenging because you need to average four marks on every um on every hazard so you have 14 videos with 15 hazards you don't know which video's got two and you need to identify by clicking the mouse where that hazard is and for the l test if you get three as an average then you'll pass so i tend to tell them to aim for four because if you get fives and then you end up clicking a little bit earlier on the test because you're under test conditions, you can get zero. So fours is actually uh, fours are actually a better option. But when it comes to the part one, you need four as an average. So really, you want to be hitting fives because then you've got a backup if you mess one up, miss it, whatever it is. You ignore all DVSA advice about don't overclick. Because uh, it will get you clicking once or twice. No, you can click 5, 10, 15 times in a video as long as it's relevant to what's going on around you. So if you see a potential hazard, click. Don't dismiss it just because you're a driver and they're on the pavement and it doesn't matter. They're a potential hazard, click. If it develops, click again. And then if it becomes the all sugar moment, because I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast. Um, so if it becomes the all sugar moment, click a third time, just as a bit of a Hail Mary, really. Because um, it might be you pick up that extra mark that you needed. And then keep going because it might be the one with two hazards in it. So that kind of approach is is you know what I recommend. And I recommend to treat it like the Jaws theme tune, which is... It needs to be relevant to what's going on on the screen. So if if you had you know the George theme tune kicking off when everyone was just merrily walking down the beach, it wouldn't make sense. But when you see that fin coming out of the water, it's going to pick up in intensity. And then when the kid stands up and it's just the fin on his back, you know it drops down again. But then the real fin comes out of the water and it keeps going until you've got a shark in your face. Um, so if your clicks are in response to what's going on in the same way that the music is in response to to the, the risk, the danger, you probably do all right. Don't expect a shark to be a hazard on the hazard perception test. If you could click to the theme of the Jaws theme tune. wonder if that one... That would come, that would come <laughs> under um, uh, a regular sort of pattern and you want to avoid regular patterns, which is why you want to be responsible. At the end, you get 
I did want to just check on one thing you said there, clarify one thing you said, because you mentioned uh, with the mouse, you click where the hazard is. You guess what I'm going to ask you now, go on. Yes. <laughs> you don't have to move the cursor, and actually there isn't a cursor. There is when you do your practice, probably, unless you're doing it on a phone. Just be aware that you're going to use an actual mouse on the test, so you might want to practice with an actual mouse, not just use an app that you tap the screen, because it's different. Um, talk about teaching to test, eh? Um, <laughs> we'll go and just do the junctions you might get on your actual driving test because we don't need to know the other ones. But it it does sometimes affect people, especially some of my gamer type pupils who have a bit of an itchy trigger finger and end up double tapping um, and then they get kicked out because of it. So it's worth practicing just to make sure. But you don't have to move the cursor to identify the hazard. So you might be clicking for the pedestrian on the left and the hazard might be the motorbike that you haven't seen yet on the right-hand side. But as long as you click, it doesn't really matter anyway. It's a bit like mirror checks, but we'll get to that another day. You have to look at the mirror. You don't actually have to look in it. You mentioned through there a lot of the the resources people can use in terms of the books and stuff like that. Would you recommend that people only do that, or would you recommend they maybe went a bit further and got some uh, training, not necessarily with you, but I'm going to use you as an example, because um, after all, you are the theory test explained guy. Um, so do you reckon people actually dive into this a bit further with some additional training? Yes, absolutely. And not just because it's me that's vlogging it. Um, I think that so the, if I was doing it, it's the best advice I can give, isn't it, really? If I was doing my, my ADI, um, firstly, I wouldn't bother um, getting started until I've got my DBS check in place. Because um, if a problem comes up with that, it's a waste of time. Um, so once that's all in place, I would not revise yet. I would start some study. I'd start looking at the books or find an alternative. And that alternative might be an ADI, someone like myself who who gets the theory side, the part one, because a lot of trainers don't touch part one. Um, you know, and, and some some of the top trainers in the country go, oh no, I don't really do part one. I don't really understand it. Um, so find someone who does. Uh, and then I would get an, an initial session done with them so you're approaching it in the right way because prior preparation and planning is the way forward. So I do a session like that, start looking into the books and use the revision data bank for what it says as a way to make sure that you'll get, you're, you're capable at the test, not at the knowledge so or the understanding, and then use it to highlight what goes wrong. Because if you run that out at the beginning – you end up without anything to fall back on at the end. And you'll end up knowing all the questions but not understanding them, and that's really hard to help. So I would go and get a session with someone who can uh, explain it, who you can understand what's expected of you. They can highlight some of the technical knowledge, um, and then you, know, you, you, can, you can use the revision data back as it's supposed to be used, which is for revision. Um, and you might be surprised at what you can learn in, in an, even an hour with someone who's, who's informed about the subject. So, you know, and at least then you've got someone to go back to, or you've decided there's someone you don't want to work with in the future. It depends whether you like what they like the style. And we've all got a different way of delivering stuff. So, you know, it, 
it, it's a good introduction into what a trainer's about. And then you might make a better decision when it comes to to the rest of the training. What I would say is that um, if you're looking at training, holistic training, we're saying really you want to make the part one part of the part two, part of the part three. So you know it. You you might want to have already figured that one out, but it's it's a very nice foot in the door. It's not going to cost you thousands up front to say to someone, "I'm interested in training." Can you just talk me through the part one first as a session, so I can go away and then work on it? And and yeah, that's that's a, that's a nice door opening question. I do want to touch on that holistic side in a second. I know we, we did kind of briefly dip us toe into that water earlier on, but I think it's the part one is a really good opportunity as well to take a step back and, and reflect on yourself and look at the way that you learn, and not necessarily do you learn from reading, writing, listening, whatever, but you know, something I've done recently is is really take stock of where I get the where I learn the best. You know, is it in a one to one environment? Is it in a group environment? Is it on online? You know, and and I think that you know the stuff around the part one is a really good place to explore that because that kind of falls into some of the stuff you learn on the part one anyway. And the more you can find out about yourself there, the more you can then apply to that within your part two, within your part three, and then with your continuing personal and professional development going forward i think that taking the time to explore what works for you is, is a great opportunity there so but you kind of mentioned the the holistic and holistic holistic and the uh, the blended way of, of learning them we kind of touched on it a little bit before but how how does that integrate how does the part one and the part two and the part three integrate together traditionally it doesn't <laughs> yeah so you know we're 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 talking about the future we're talking about the developments that we're seeing coming through they are starting to come through um but don't expect this to be the norm as as you come into it and don't expect everybody to be on the same page as you as someone who's possibly seen the light and gone do you know what what we're about to say makes sense that's what i'm going to do doesn't mean it's readily available yet it is changing and the more you ask for it the more it's likely to 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 change so traditionally go and do the part one then come back and see us do the part two which is looking at your driving so we're not going to talk to you about anything to do with learners or teaching people any of those skills we're just going to look at is your driving good enough and we know that it's not because you've been driving for years. You've got lots of bad habits. So it's also a chance to bring you down a peg or two so that when we go into the part three, you're a little bit more compliant um, because most people's dri- people think their driving is really good uh, or good enough. That's why they come and do the job in a lot of cases. And it's an opportunity to poke some holes. And then we move on to the part part three, should you get that far? and We'll start teaching you not how to teach, but how to pass the part three test and how to cover a subject with a learner, not necessarily how to grow and improve that learner and work to lifelong safety in driving. We're going to focus on the driving test and the L test, and that's going to be our standard. And and then you'll pass your part three, you'll be let loose on the road, and you've never got to do any CPD ever again as a requirement. You only have to join in if you choose to, 
or if you think you're not good enough at something and you know you can just work it out yourself is does that sound unfair to you as a, as an example of how how things have been how my training was it, it's not what we want it to be but we need to be realistic and and if you can understand where those pitfalls are and hopefully my you know slightly tongue in cheek explanation um has has helped do that um you know what to look for that's different so when we talk about a holistic approach and i and i say just to reiterate i'd love to see it part two practical then theory then then the um uh the teaching side of things um but as it stands part one information should be important to you now we can't change the test um we'd love to but it should be relevant to what you're going to be going to teach so make it relevant you know make it about not just do you know it to answer a question but actually go all right here's a subject i think subject based part one is only just beginning to to raise its head um subject based part one and then i'm going to go and teach even if it's you know a six-year-old child that's a brilliant way to to learn whether you're getting the point across if you know your stuff because if they're if anyone's going to ask you a difficult question a six-year-old will um i'm not challenging you to take on take on a teenager because that's different um but you know if you can teach it then you you know it well enough really challenge yourself with that and then hold on to it a bit because as we say we kind of jump that to the part three slightly but if you go out and look at your own driving with someone your faults are likely to be the faults that you're going to be passing on so the part one to some extent and then the learning that you're going through to develop your own driving, because that's teaching and you're being taught, possibly coached, but it's still about development. That is what you're going to be doing. So don't just sit there and be the recipient of this learning. Sit there in a third position, looking down on it, going, well, what are they doing well? What don't I like? What phrases are they using? One of my favourite, vision decision. I love that as a phrase because for me it is driving because if you see it, you've got to do something about it. Um, that then also translates to to being an instructor uh, and seeing a problem and then doing something about the problem. So just a nice phrase. Um, so get a book and start making notes at that point based on you as a teacher that's coming, not just you as a driver who's got to pass the part two. And then hopefully when you get to that part three, those two other areas all come together and you have the knowledge that you need. We, none of us know everything. Um, if you're not learning something every day, you're you're doing the wrong something. You know, go and do something else. Find a room to be in where you can learn. Um, so, and, and your pupils will teach you tons. They really will. So. If you can engage with that part one information and then you can deliver it in a way that worked for you or you could see working for someone else, inside of the part three, it's going to work really well. And then don't make that focus the driving test. Um, I get why as, as a trainee instructor, as a PDI, you want to get a familiarity with the area. And for your part three, you kind of need it and it ends up being in the test area because that's where your part three is. And you need a bit of, you know, or if that goes wrong, how do I double back round? 
uh, you know, where can I find a hill? Because I need, you know, the clutch has gone gone out the window and not literally might have, but um, you know, stick it on a hill and 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 play with that to 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 resolve the issue. You want some of that understanding, but don't get sucked into test routes. You know, just just avoid them like the plague. The best thing that ever happened to me was when the test routes changed and we had uh Satnav came in and they totally changed all the test routes. And people were saying, Oh, the, the the new routes go this way. And I was sat there with my fingers in my ears going, It'll make me pull my punch. And I don't want to. I, I want to do the best I can do without the knowledge of, you know, that that lets me be lazy. And then that gives you holistic. And it continues forwards with CPD, with specialisms. Um, not too many people doing theory because, you know, I'm enjoying the fact that it's just me. Um, but no, with, with all of those things, you can come in and have a really strong, good, successful career in which you're doing it well. And that's what we all want at the end of the day. Awesome. Um Great. Well, let, let's finish up then, because we, we've mentioned some already. But let's finish up with any resources. Is there anything else you'd uh, you'd recommend that people could use? Uh, I suppose specifically for their part one. So, there's lots of apps out there. Um, some people provide one. Um, other people will recommend one. The apps are great for revision. Um, I wouldn't start with. Um, the ADI test, I'd start with the, the L test. So, which cheats Terry out of the fact he said focus on the part part one. Um, but you can get a free one. So once you've got your PRN number from, from the DVSA, so you're on the register ready to go, you can get a, get free access to the James May theory test app, um, which is different from the others because it's very James May. Um, uh, and there's some great little practical videos that, that you can get in there that you do have to pay for, but well worth paying for. So that's worth a go to try something that's a bit different. Um, focused a little bit more on part one itself um, would be the uh, the DVSA's Safe Driving for Life website if you want something that teaches you a bit. Um, so there's lessons and questions inside of that. Um, or there's just revision um, revision apps or websites or a bit of both. My recommendation is Theory Test Pro. The other one is Driving Test Success. They're kind of the two leading ones in, in my eyes um, on, on that front. Um, I use Theory Test Pro if that tells you anything. Um, there's uh, there's also for the, for, so the books, um, and I don't think there's a way around that at the moment, unless you've got someone who's, you know, um, is gurgitated a word. I'm going for the, the 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 prior thing to regurgitated. So someone who's absorbed them, um, and can then regurgitate that information in, in the way that is best for you. Brilliant. Regurgitate. Regurgitate. Yeah. I'm going to look it up later. But yeah, there's, every day is a school day. It's good. That'll be my thing for learning today is gurgitated a thing. Um, so <laughs> I've thrown myself now. Um, then, you know, ob- obviously any of the uh, the, the theory-focused, um, the part one-focused uh, podcasts, which I'm sure Terry will put a list of in the uh, in the show notes, because uh, that's normally what he says. Um, so 
yeah, and any of those that are there that you can listen to and absorb. And that's quite a broad thing. Uh, it hasn't got to be specifically someone talking about, you know, the the part one, but the the subject matter to it. It might be the disability driving stuff. If you've got a better feel for that, you'll be able to answer the questions more easily. And what we haven't said, I should just add in, the questions on the revision data bank are not the questions on the test. So um, they will be different. Don't be surprised at that. Um, it used to be that they were exactly the same and that didn't really make sense. So, yeah, they will be a bit different. So if you've got a feel for the subject rather than just the question, that's going to re- really help. Uh, and what have I forgotten, Terry? Theory test explained. Theory test explained. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> um, and theory test explained, of course. Um, you know when you count how many people are at a table and you forget yourself? Um, oh. So, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I do Zoom-based one-to-one uh, theory support. I also have a chat. If someone's got a problem, get in touch. Um, I'd rather people solved it. If I can help by teaching uh and going through stuff and using my experience to point you in the right direction make your life easier remove the friction from the process then that's kind of what i do so check out theory test explained um get in touch and have a have a chat uh there's also more stuff going on to the ditc website as well the driving instructor and trainers collective which is the signposting point for the industry and as a pdi jump on there because after your part one pass you're going to be able to get student discount um but there's a write-up on there about the hazard perception test and uh how to tackle that so so that one as well awesome uh, and i will just mention if you do want to check out the uh the audio resource chris mentioned as far as i'm aware there's only one podcast for the theory test and that is the five minute theory podcast um and a little challenge for you one of my students pointed out to me recently that there is a mistake. Uh, and you can remember which episode, one of the first three. So go and listen to the first three episodes, see if you can spot the mistake. I've been assured there is one. And since she said it, I think she's right. <laughs> I just haven't had to change it yet. So uh, see if you can spot the mistake. But um, but yeah, really, really enjoyed that. Um, I was, uh, I think I've gained some knowledge from listening to that, Chris. So uh, yeah, thank you for. Uh, for listening to today's episode, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm off to watch Jaws. <laughs> it's the it's the gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? As a film, you can watch it that one as many times as you choose. <laughs> <laughs>